Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. But we are starting this morning in Romans chapter number three. We're going to try to tackle the first eight verses. The title of the message, if I had to title it, would be, What Advantage Hath the Jew? Court trials can be very, very tedious. And this causes people to lose the objection or the the basic object of the trial. Romans 3 is basically the trial of accused criminals before God. And it's to leave no doubt in our mind whatsoever. This is why this argumentation goes on and on, to leave no doubt in our mind, our standing before God. And we can't miss that. We have nothing that we can argue to God that would make us just in his eyes. No type of outward right, no type of outward religion. It's only the heart that truly matters. And two fundamental truths that we have to understand before we get into the text. One, the root sin of all really is disobedience. We saw that in the garden. Number two, once man sins, he is absolutely ingenious in the way that he argues to justify his sin. And so here's Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We don't need ingenious. We need to humble ourselves before a holy God and repent. Romans chapter 3 Verse number one, and the Bible says, what advantage then hath the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision? Our tendency really is to glory in our heritage. The garden of man's mind, really, the the weed that pops up is always pride. We're always going backward to pride ourselves in our religious heritage, our accomplishments our family tree and based on what was said in chapter two paul's writing off their religion really is worthless but the question comes up and we see it what advantage then have the jew and the answer comes back in verse number two watch what paul says much every way what's the use of circumcision if it cannot save you. And he tells them, look, you guys do have some advantage. He's trying to let them know it's not for the salvation of your soul, but you've got some advantage because that under them were committed the oracles of God. What's the advantage? Look, you've got some advantage. God gave you the oracles of God. He gave you some scripture. The Gentiles did not have the advantages that the Jews had. We see this here in Romans chapter 3, given the oracles of God. The Gentiles weren't given the Ten Commandments. The Gentiles weren't given promise uh, that God gave to Abraham. Um, They weren't promised land. (laughs) The Gentiles weren't given prophets. Matter of fact, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 14. There was some advantage there. Deuteronomy chapter number 14. Watch what God says in verse number two. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord. 
thy God. They're supposed to live holy. And the Lord hath chosen thee. They were God's chosen people to be a peculiar people unto himself. So they're supposed to be holy because they were chosen by God. And because of that, they were peculiar unto himself. And that, look, watch what it says. Above all the nations that are upon the earth. I'd say that's some advantage. But they took those blessings. They took those opportunities. They took those advantages, if you would. And they were disrespectful and irreverent to them. How does that play out in our lives? Well, kids have parents that love them. We give them a lot of opportunity and privileges. And they treat them with disrespect and irreverence. Young ones, I wouldn't complain about what's on the table. I would be thankful that you got green beans. Matter of fact, it might be a good idea for you to ask mama to grab the bean, the green beans and snap some green beans so she can cook them so you can contribute and show some respect and reverence to the fact that you've got a meal. You've got a lot of advantage, husband and wives, husbands. You the Bible tells us we're supposed to love our wives. Yeah. You have the advantage of having a wife that said, I do. <laughs> and you have an advantage of having a wife that said, I do. And the next day when the thought came into her mind, what did I just do? And when she doesn't say that, that's an advantage. Don't treat that with disrespect and irreverence. Wives, are you told to, I'll, I'll try to get this word out. Are you told to reverence your husband? You have the advantage of having a husband that gets up and goes to work and earns money and brings it home and spends it on the family rather than on going into debt with all of his toys or spending it at the bar and we can just go on. That's an advantage. Show some respect. Show some reverence. Is any of that going to save us? No, it's not going to save our souls. But what Paul's trying to get them to understand is, look, you guys did have some advantage and you trampled it underfoot. You trampled it underfoot. God did not give them the Holy Scriptures so they could just say, look, I've got them. I possess them. They were passed down. That's not why he gave them the scriptures. I remember growing up, I was brought up in a traditional Roman Catholic religion. We got Bibles when we received the sacrament. We didn't read them. They just went on the shelf in our bedroom for decoration. That is not why God gave you a Bible. You need a Bible that you can open up and you can read and you can draw closer to God with. You've got them. Don't just say you want to claim Abraham as your father. When the Jews did that, 
okay, now they've got to lay claim and they got to lay responsibility to what did we do with that? My parents are Christians. That ain't getting you in. I went to a good church. That ain't getting you in. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to hear heed to the word of the Lord and trust Christ as your savior? Or are you going to die and say to God, well, I guess my preacher was okay, God. You ain't getting in because of me. I ain't getting in because of you. I'm telling you, young people, many of you have a good godly heritage. All of us live in a land where the Bible is preached. Now that window's closing, but we can do this. You can go down to the Dollar General and you can buy a Bible. Matter of fact, you can walk out those, those doors and right to the left, you can find a stack of King James Bibles. You can take one and you can have it and it's free. You can get a Bible for free today. You know what people have done? The same thing that the Jews did and Paul's trying to point it out to them. You disrespected it and you showed irreverence. You have an advantage. You don't have to go into the bush is what they call missionaries call it when you're out in the jungle of Africa and see people that don't have the advantage that you and I have. We have an advantage, yet we act like Jews that Paul's trying to help out here. And here's the thing. Both Paul and the Jews, they both agreed that the Jews did have a special position. They both believe that. But Paul said it was a special responsibility. And the Jews, their mindset was, I'm specially privileged. It was a mindset that was different. One is I'm privileged. The other one was I've got some responsibility. Jews, are you special? Do you have the oracles of God? Then try living it. Us, American Christians. Do we have Bibles? Do we have freedom? Are you using it to get the gospel out? Or is it, well, it's Sunday, I guess I need to be in church. Oh, we have food in front of us. I guess we need to take 30 seconds and say, rub-a-dub-dub, -dub, bless the grub. And then dive in. And since we're on food, when is it requirement for children to have to have dessert? I'm not trying to be a mean preacher. I'm just saying, kids, your parents aren't required to give you an ice cream sundae every night. I do want to do this one day. I want to plan a mission trip and go over to a third world country. And you say to you, you say you say to that preacher who has a straw hut, when's dessert? Dessert's going to be when it comes. So get around the table and let's pray because we only have enough rations to last two days. I want dessert. We need to be careful. We've been given an advantage. Let's not treat it irreverently and disrespectfully. God didn't tell that nation. God did not tell those Jews to do what they like. He told them to do what I like. You, you can, we can save a lot of marriages if the husband would just say to the wife, what do you want me to do? 
And if the husband would turn to the wife and say, what do you want me to do? And the children would wake up in the morning and say, mama, what would you like me to help out with? Instead, it's this. Honey, where's my keys? Mom, what's for breakfast? Dad, I'm hungry. Contribute. Contribute. Think of the other person. Think of the other person. The choice for them was a special duty to live for God. Because if they didn't, then yes, circumcision doesn't mean anything. We looked at that last week. Look at verse number three in Romans chapter three. The Bible says, for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Now, Paul's going to draw out the infallibility of our God. And the Jews want to know, will God cancel his promise to our nation? In other words, will our unfaithfulness void out and nullify God's faithfulness? I mean, some people are wicked. Some people are living evil. Is that going to cause God to not fulfill his promise? And the answer comes back. Look at verse number four. The Bible says, God forbid. A criminal's unbelief doesn't change who the judge is. Us as criminals, we don't change who God is. That's why verse number four says, but let God be true and every man a liar. The nation was deep in hypocrisy. The nation was deep in sin. Christ came. He died for their sin. He came to save them. That should kind of be enough. They missed that whole part too. And crucified him. Put him on a cross. Paul's trying to draw out God's infallibility. Watch verse number four. Let's read the entire verse. God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. That's a quote from Psalm 51. What's happening is they're making a wrong judgment about God. Yes, God is true. Yes, every man is a liar. God is 100% right all the time. And if any of us decide to disagree with that, we need to get our head checked out. We are the ones that would be out of line. God's not going to cast everybody off because some are evil and don't believe. Notice in verse number four, it says every man. It's a change from if you look at verse number three for what if some did not believe. Verse number four, just drawing out the contrast of those two words, every man. Unbelief makes you and I a liar. All unbelievers are liars. All those that are lost and haven't believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're all liars. And, and they're not liars because when you ask them, go to a lost person and ask them, say, have you ever told a lie? And they say yes. And then you say, well, what does that make you? And then they say a liar. Have you ever used that? Okay. That doesn't make them a liar. That's a great question to ask the lost person, by the way. It really helps draw out the conversation. So do that. But that doesn't make them a liar. Their unbelief makes them a liar. Do you know why? Because their unbelief openly declares this. God, your word is untrustworthy. And they declare that 
by their mouth, by their life, by their thoughts. Their unbelief makes them a liar. This is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. You can only get into the truth by turning from unbelief to belief. That's the only way. You got a sheriff and the sheriff in town brings the criminal into the courtroom. And you know what the first thing the criminal finds out? Who wants to guess the first thing that the criminal finds out? He walks into court. Hannah, you should know because you went to court me the one time I got a speed ticket. <laughs> All rise. Everybody has to stand up and you rise for the judge. And the criminal don't like that. But he finds out real quick it's a sign of respect and it's a sign of honor. That's why you, you say to the judge, your honor. So the criminal finds that out. It doesn't matter your opinion of the judge. Well, I don't like the judge. The verdict of the court will be final. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. Let God be true and every man a liar. Romans chapter 3 verse 5. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. Paul's saying, he's just saying, let's, let, let's just reason logically about this. But this is the most important question. Is God unrighteous? If God's righteousness is made manifest by man's unrighteousness, isn't God's judgment really unrighteous? That's what they're asking. They're saying basically, God, you're wrong if you take vengeance. Because if our unrighteousness magnifies your righteousness, what's the problem? Now, that's a pretty deep-seated argument. Criminals, we're back to the criminal again. He's brought before the judge. This criminal is charged with murder. The judge says that the criminal has to pay for his crime by the death penalty. So then they put him to death. So now that makes the judge a bad guy. No, it doesn't make the judge a bad guy. You can't accuse God of evil because he punishes a criminal. Paul's trying to help him understand that. You know how that plays out nowadays in our day? Well, if God is a loving God, why would he send anybody to hell? They're arguing what Paul's trying to help them out with. That's Romans 3 argumentation that the lost world uses in that. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 6. The answer comes back. God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? Back in Genesis, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? 
Is there any a time, is there any a time where God will do wrong? Never. He'll always do right. Psalm 9:8 says, He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. Acts 17, because he have appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Is God a judge? Does he always do right? Yes, he does. Amen. Does he always judge in righteousness and never in contempt of any way? Amen. It's a time to say amen. It's just, this is God as the judge. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? And then verse number seven. How shall God judge the world? In righteousness and by doing good. For if the truth of God <laughs> hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? Look, God is commended as righteous. Even in my unrighteousness. So why would you condemn me? <laughs> That's what they want to know. You see how specially privileged that thinking is? It's privileged thinking. I'm a Jew. God's going to be commended righteous anyway. What's the big deal? Why do I have to be judged? I do wrong. God is glorified. What's the problem here? It's a pretty sick way to think. And the Jews thinking, isn't this what God's been doing all the time with us anyway? Because we're his chosen people. And Christians get saved. They trust the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not trusting in anything else. And they say, well, God, if you save me by your blood and I'm assured of my salvation, I'm going to heaven. Why don't I just live how I want to live? I can't think of a more disrespectful thought than that. Why would you reason in your mind that God saved you by dying on the cross for your sin? And he's extended grace to you and has saved you by his grace when you put your full faith and trust in his finished cross work. Why would the thought even come to your mind that, Lord, since you saved me by grace, I'm just going to go ahead and send it up. I'm on my way to heaven. I can do what I want. And unfortunately, that's a way. That's a that's the way a lot of people think. This is why you can build a church with five thousand members in the matter of a decade. Because that preacher is not going to require anything of you. And the Bible that he teaches from and preaches from isn't going to require anything of you. And parents will grow up raising their children, not requiring anything out of their children. No requirements here, no limits here, no rules here. Y'all just do what you want. You think that's God. If that's your thinking, young people, don't grow up and get married because <laughs> you're going to find out real quick.
That is not how a love relationship develops. The husband does not get to wake up in the morning and say, I'm doing what I want to do. Get out of my way, honey. And the wife doesn't get to get up in the morning and say, I've got a career to build. Get out of my way, buddy. That's not how a relationship works. So if you trust Christ as your savior on Monday, don't wake up on Tuesday and say, get out of my way, God. I'm living the way I want to live because you saved me. It's wicked, twisted thinking. We're talking about a holy God. And your thoughts always go to the lowest common denominator about that God, and they should be raised up higher and higher and higher of who he is, what he did, uh, what he did for you, why he's worthy to be praised. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the great love of God. He gave while we were sinners, but he's still going to judge sin. And he's not going to let anybody's sin pass. And the Jew needs to know that. And Paul, nobody's going to escape judgment. This is why it's bad news after bad news after bad news before we get to the good news. And it's coming. It's just not coming this morning. But look at verse number eight, last verse we'll tackle this morning. The Bible says, not rather, as we be slanderous reported. So Paul's being slanderously accused. He said they're doing evil for the Lord's sake. As we being slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil. See that? That good may come, whose damnation is just. Jews, they're reporting that Paul's. They're reporting on Paul slanderously that he's evil. Now, of course, he's preaching salvation by grace, not by the works of the law. If you're unfaithful. But God is still able to get glory because he's God and he can get glory even if you're unfaithful because he is because he is, he isn't unfaithful. then you can continue to live an evil way because that will just make the glory of God shine brighter. This is how they're thinking. This is the imaginary uh, opponent that Paul has that he's arguing back and forth. So he takes that thought away. A brilliant mind inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we saw this as we went through Galatians. It says, Paul, it's just, Ad hominem, add another argument that he's going to unlayer on the wickedness of mankind's heart. You don't live evil because God's glory gets to shine brighter. They messed it up. You're not going to get a pass because you think you're, you're a special Jew. You're not going to get a pass because you think you're a special American. We have nice padded pews, don't we?
people have commented, you've, you know, you've got some comfortable pews. And I'll admit, I've been in a lot of churches. They are comfortable pews. But this isn't comfortable. This isn't comfortable. Get that pew over here. This ain't comfortable. Take this pew. Walk it out in the middle of the pew. This isn't comfortable. Watch you boys. You boys come sit on over here. Go ahead. Sit down on the pew. Face it this way. You're going to get a hard view with no back. This is about the best I can do. I, I had this. I have a lot of wild, crazy ideas. My wife usually talks me down from the ledge on. One of them was, you know, <laughs> you know, what? We shouldn't have a church with padded pews. People need to learn to sit up straight, and really hear the word of God. We just get wooden pews and make them sit like this is what I wanted to do. He said, no one's going to come. So, you know, I scratched that idea, but I can live vicariously through it now in this little sermon illustration. Look, it's a hard pew with no cushion and no back. And if you're up for it, well, you do this, you know, depending on who watches this, this could be considered child abuse. <laughs> One of these left wing media groups is going to come down, you know, preacher abuses children by making them sit up straight in church. It's <laughs> but you boys could sit there for the rest of the service and um, you can see what it's like to have to do church out in a third world country that won't ever have a seat like that. We're just going to slouch back and not pay attention. Well, because we just have a nice, comfortable pew to sit in and a temperature controlled church house. That's not the way Christians think. We're just going to sin it up because God is so glorious that his glory will be magnified even the more because of our sin. That's the wrong way to think. Try to sit up straight, boys. That's it. Good job. Bible says at the end of verse number eight, whose damnation is just. That's why Paul says it. down here, we can fully recognize that any criminal should be punished. And if that criminal is not punished, we do not expect the judge to give him a pass. So why do you question God? Why do we question God's right to punish criminals when you see yourself as the criminal? Why do we give ourselves a pass? Why won't you witness for the Lord Jesus Christ? Why does the reasoning come into your mind? There's enough other churches to do it. Why does the reasoning come into your mind? Well, I'm busy. I've got A, B, C, D. As if no one else is busy. Why do we reason? Well, it's the preacher's job when you can't find anywhere in the scripture where it says it's just the preacher's job. Should the preacher do it? Yes. But I'm telling you, I want to be in a church. Where the people are on fire for God. Where the young ones want to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Where the young girls want to live for Christ. And do something more that's going to last for eternity. And the parents say, let's get the kids together. It's time to go witness for Jesus. 
And they don't use the excuse, it's the preacher's job, another church will do it, or I'm busy. Busy doing what? Scrolling on Facebook for another three hours? Pinning something on Pinterest? God needs to be made known to this lost and dying world. God's the one who can save this lost and dying world. And we come up with all types of excuses. Well, our unfaithfulness, Lord, it'll just allow your glory to shine all the more brighter. Wicked thinking. It's wicked thinking. Every door of escape is closed. And God's judgment will plunge the sinner into the lowest depths of hell to never escape. God doesn't play favorites. When he sees sin, he will punish sin. The very fact that he will condemn a Jew should be clear enough evidence. It was his chosen people, his holy people. But he will not overlook anyone's sin. And I'm telling you, on the authority of God's word this morning, you will not be forgiven by God unless you come to him as a guilty sinner. And you will not be justified by God Unless you come to him, God, I know I'm condemned. And that's the only way. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Don't dare take the excuse from the lost man. When you stand out in the street corner and lift your voice and say, God so loved the world. For the wages of sin is death. Don't take the excuse when they say, why are you condemning me? You look that man or that woman in the eye and say, I'm not condemning you. You're condemned already. This idea that the mean preacher showed up and now somehow somebody's condemned is a fallacy. They're already condemned. They're already condemned but that the world through him might be saved. You're preaching the message of the cross because you want the world to be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. That's the light of Jesus Christ. And men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Evil is all over. And this is why people will hide in their phone for hours. People will hide in the bar for hours. People will hide in the sport in the sports arenas and the concert halls and the dance halls and the saloons for hours. Because they love darkness. And you have to come and shine the light of the glorious gospel to let them know. The final verdict has been passed by God and all have sinned. And the guilty plea stands. Will you come to God as a guilty sinner? And receive forgiveness? Because that's the only way. 
You've got to come to him as a guilty, condemned sinner. And then he will offer you forgiveness and save your soul. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.